You're listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg-Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. Well, good morning, everybody. If we uh, haven't met before, my name is Matt Lemoyne. I serve as one of the pastors here at Liberty Church. And a joy to be with you this morning, uh, as it is most Sundays, to, uh, to gather and to uh, dive into God's Word together. If you have Bibles, we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark this morning, uh, Mark chapter 10 specifically. And so if you're using one of those black hardcover Bibles that Jordan just mentioned, uh, page 846 is where you can find today's text. One last uh, announcement, celebration really, to share with you. Uh, If you were with us uh, over the past couple months, every year one of our rhythms is that we partner uh, with a great local organization called Capital Area Pregnancy Center for what's called the Baby Bottle Blast. We raise funds for them between Mother's Day and Father's Day uh, to help uh, them help women and couples facing unplanned pregnancy here in our region. So last year during the Baby Bottle Blast, we raised $2,800 just heard from one of our deacons, Sandy Ziola, a couple days ago. This year, we surpassed that by about 200 bucks. $3,027 was our total this year. Uh, so thank you all for your generosity, for giving uh, to support that great organization. Helen Rosevere was a medical student in England when she became a Christian in 1945. And becoming a Christian for her completely altered the course of her life. She decided to to forego her other career plans, and she uh, decided to serve as a missionary to the Congo. During her time in the Congo, uh, the Congo became independent from Belgium, and a civil war broke out. All of the medical clinics then, over the next months and years, all of the medical clinics, nearly 50 medical clinics that she had helped establish, were destroyed. And she herself was imprisoned and and thereafter endured immense suffering, including Uh, beatings and assault and all kinds of horrific things. She was eventually freed uh, and returned to England, but less than two years later, she decided to go back to the Congo and served there for about seven more years before her deteriorating health led her back to the UK permanently. In 1976, uh, she was invited then to give an address at Urbana, which is a big uh, conference on global mission. And at Urbana 1976, Helen Rosevere said this about her service. One word became unbelievably clear, and that word was privilege. God didn't take away pain or cruelty or humiliation. No, it was all there, but now it was altogether different. Looking back, one has tried to count the cost, but I find it all swallowed up in privilege. The cost suddenly seems very small and transient, compared to the greatness and permanence of the privilege. How does someone say that? How does someone say something like Helen Rosevere said? That's not the kind of life or life experience that we commonly associate with words like privilege or greatness. It's certainly not, if I'm honest, my perspective most of the time. But it is Jesus' perspective. And as we're going to read this morning, it's what Jesus taught his disciples. The way that you and I naturally understand greatness is actually completely different from how greatness works in God's kingdom. And ever since Jesus spoke these words, there have been men and women like Helen Rosevere who have actually taken them to heart, who have actually believed those words. 
and pursued a life of service to other people at incredible cost, and doing so counted not only the cost, but counted the joy and the privilege of service. And so as we continue our series looking at the rhythms of grace, we're going to spend this morning considering the rhythm of service. We're going to talk about what it looks like to labor for the genuine good of other people, what it looks like to dream and to act in a way that is a blessing to the people we come in contact with, whether that's inside the church or outside the church. And here's what I really hope you hear from our time this morning, that that service is not the way we typically think about it. It's not projects, but it's people. And even more than people, it's actually a whole new paradigm. It's a whole new way of thinking and a whole new way of living. It's a way that we can only learn from Jesus himself. So I invite you now to listen with open ears to this book that we love. This is the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, and beginning in verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him, that is Jesus, and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. He said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And and with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the 10 heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave or bondservant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is God's word. Let me pray for us this morning. Lord God, you have declared that your kingdom is among us. And so we ask right now in this moment by the power of your spirit that you would open our eyes to see it, that you would open our ears to hear it, that you would open our hearts to hold it, and that you would open our hands to serve it. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look at three things in this passage that give us this new paradigm and that form us into servants who count not only the cost of service, but really the joy and the privilege of serving. Three things, a request, a revolution, and a ransom. So first, a request. Between Mark chapter 8 and Mark chapter 10, Jesus predicts his death and his resurrection on three separate occasions. Each time he does that, it's followed by some of his instruction about what it means for the disciples to follow him. And each time, that is then followed by the disciples demonstrating they really haven't understood it at all yet. So here, James and John take their turn. And they make this really audacious request, as you hopefully heard just a moment ago. First, they say, Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask. Here's a blank check, Jesus. Would you just sign this? Say yes first, and then we'll fill in the details later about what we're asking. 
That's how they start. Jesus indulges them, and they then request positions of greatness and honor in his kingdom, one of them sitting at his right hand, one of them sitting at his left. So thinking that Jesus is heading to Jerusalem to usher in a political kingdom, political deliverance and triumph, they now want to be like prime minister and chief of staff in his new administration. So here's what we immediately see in Mark chapter 10. If we misunderstand Jesus' mission, we will misunderstand discipleship. If we think Jesus came into the world to conquer, to trample, to set up a political kingdom on earth, we're going to see our role following in his footsteps as conquering and trampling too. And we will never be able to assume a posture of service like he's describing here. James and John do not yet understand Jesus' mission. And so like a Pastor Sinclair Ferguson put it, like Peter before them, they are looking for a crown without a cross, glory without suffering, honor without humility. When they get to Jerusalem, when this group actually makes it to Jerusalem a few chapters later, there will be someone on Jesus' right and Jesus' left. But like Jesus, they will be hanging on crosses. So James and John really have no idea what they are asking. And Jesus says to them, are you able to do what I'm about to do? Are you able to drink this cup? And a cup is really an allotment from God. It is something that comes from the hand of God. Occasionally in in the Bible, in places like Psalm 23, a cup refers to joy and prosperity, something really good from God's hand. But most often in scripture, a cup refers to God's judgment. It refers to God's wrath against sin. And Jesus, we find here, is about to drink that cup down to the dregs. On the cross, he's going to experience a unique kind of suffering. He's going to be forsaken and abandoned by God in order to pay the penalty for humanity's sin. But James and John, misunderstanding all of this, say simply, yes, we are able. It's one of the greatest examples in all of history of overestimating yourself. And if you think about it, overestimation really is a classic error made by people who want to be great. They they think too highly of themselves. They presume. They make arrogant, misguided requests. There's something very noble and good about aspiration and about ambition. There's actually a a false humility that really in in actuality is avoidance and passivity, refusing to step into the fullness of who God has created you to be and called you to be and equipped you to be. So please don't hear me this morning bashing ambition. But in the kingdom of God, service is putting yourself forward in the low places. It's putting yourself forward in the low places. It's not passively hanging back. It's stepping out to do something, but it's not overestimating or presuming that the something I'm supposed to do is the glorious, honorable, desirable thing. It's putting yourself forward in the low place. Here at Liberty Church, we're blessed with a phenomenal team of deacons. And the word deacon in the original Greek language means simply servant. The deacons are servants for Jesus' church. And it's a leadership role, it's an office in Jesus' church. But like all leadership in the kingdom of God, it's a servant leadership role. And so deacons here at this church, they don't do all of the serving for us. They help equip and mobilize us to increasingly live lives of service and mercy. But they do that by serving themselves. 
And so actually today, I have the joy of announcing that we have two new deacon candidates for Liberty Church, Jeff Conway and Chris Slick. Uh, For nearly a year now, those two have been walking through a deacon in training process, and as we're nearing the end of that, the elders believe that they are called and qualified and gifted to serve in that capacity. And so our recommendation to all of you as a church uh, and our intent is to commission them to serve as deacons a couple months from now in late September. As Jeff and Chris are going to be serving in that leadership role, that capacity for our church, uh, it's important that they would be trusted and respected uh, when we commission them to that role. And so it would be important for us as elders to know if you think there's some obstacle to that, uh, some reason that you believe that they should not serve as a deacon. But what I want to say this morning, I think it connects so well to what we're talking about here in the rhythm of grace of service. I'm hugely encouraged to have these two serving as deacons. And I will tell you, they did not overestimate themselves or presume that role. Instead, in a number of different ways and over many years, they put themselves forward in low places. They showed up and they served time and time again in different capacities. They met needs that that arose in our church community and outside our church walls, and they did all of that without a title. So they really have served their way into a role of servant leadership. And so in light of their examples and the examples of all of our deacons and really the examples of so many of you here at our church, I just want to invite you to consider this morning, what are you requesting of Jesus James and John made their request. What are you requesting of Jesus? Some of you actually aren't requesting anything. You aren't putting yourself forward at all. And I would say to you this morning, consider at least the example of James and John. At least they wanted in. They they wanted to be part of the work Jesus was doing. They wanted to be part of the mission that he had come into the world to accomplish. At least they, they had that. And Jesus offers each of you a role, a place in his kingdom. So don't refuse that. Ask him to show you the role that he's given you, even if it's not grandiose or glorious, because for many of us it's not, it's no less significant. Others of you perhaps are requesting, but maybe you're requesting misunderstanding the mission of Jesus, or maybe you're requesting overestimating yourself, or maybe some of both. Remember that that the people on the right and the left of Jesus, when they actually got to Jerusalem, were on a cross just like he was. So put yourself forward, but put yourself forward in the low places. If that's the request, then second, let's talk about a revolution. A revolution. When the other ten disciples here find out about James and John's request, they're indignant, Mark tells us. Now, that could be uh, because they see how misguided the request was. That could be they saying, man, you guys have really missed it. That's not what Jesus came into the world to do. Actually, it's far more likely they're just mad because they didn't think to ask first. They, they actually are kind of jealous that they didn't think to say, oh, we should have asked for those spots before James and John did. And so Jesus, in verse 42, calls all 12 to himself, and he teaches them how revolutionary the kingdom of God actually is. It's an upside-down kingdom. It takes the values, it takes the approaches of human kingdoms, and it turns them completely on their heads. In our kingdoms, great ones exercise authority. Or maybe your translation says dominion. The word there means that that the great ones gain mastery over people. They subdue people. 
But Jesus says, in God's kingdom, whoever would be great must be the servant. Whoever would be first must be the slave of all. For a lot of us, if you've been a Christian for some period of time, if you've been in the church for some period of time, that phrase is way too familiar to have its appropriate effect. That that would have been to the original hearers an absurd paradox to say that a slave would be first. It would have been unintelligible to people in the first century who were living under Roman rule, where slaves were nothing, where slaves were just disregarded. They got the lowest, most dirty, most meaningless kinds of work to do. This would be as absurd as a phrase like a camel going through the eye of a needle. But that's how the kingdom of God works. Jonathan Edwards once wrote, at no place do the ethics of the kingdom of God clash more vigorously with the ethics of the world than in the matters of power and service. This is a place of great conflict between the way the world operates and functions and the way the kingdom of God does. See, in our kingdoms, greatness is defined by power and by authority. In God's kingdom, greatness is defined by service. In our kingdoms, leaders have servants, but in God's kingdom, leaders are servants. So let me try to help us recapture just a little bit of how revolutionary this is in a way that might make a little more sense to us today in our time and place. Here at at Liberty Harrisburg, uh, we tend to be better at gifts of money than gifts of time. Or to kind of use our rhythms of grace as a grid, we tend to be a lot better at generosity than we are at service. You've even heard me celebrate just a little while ago too the the offering that we took for Capital Area Pregnancy Center. And Every year, it seems like we surpass the offering from the year before. Every time we do a special offering, so many of you respond in incredibly generous ways. It's amazing, and I don't take it for granted at all. But why? Why might we be better at generosity than we are at service? For many of us, it's easier. It's easier. Many of us have more money than we have time. Many of us have the ability to pay other people to do things rather than do them ourselves. And in some ways, that's completely fine. In many ways, that's a good thing. It employs other people. It can impart dignity by providing other people a way to earn an income for themselves. And our generosity, when we give to the church, when we give to nonprofits, it fuels things like church planting. It fuels global mission. It fuels the great work that some of these local organizations do here in the Harrisburg region. So in some ways, that's a good thing. Until it forms you into a person who has servants rather than someone who is a servant. Does that make sense? Until these subtle, sneaky kind of shifts set in where we start by thinking, man, I have so little time and my time's important, which is true, which is true. But that so quickly and subtly becomes, I'm important. Too important, in fact, to be bothered, to take my time up with these things that are actually beneath me. And so I'll pay someone else to do it instead. I'll write a check instead. You see, men and women, you can be generous and never actually assume the posture of a servant. Is that not what even a lot of philanthropy in our society at large is? It's, it's rich people giving money so they don't have to actually get their hands dirty, so they never actually have to take the low place. You can be generous, you can be incredibly generous and never actually be a servant. By the way, this is a terrible church growth strategy. 
This is the way you completely tank a church in 21st century suburban America. <laughs> Tell a lot of generous suburban people that their money is fantastic, but, but Jesus actually wants way more than your money. And I say to you this morning, and I invite you to take this to heart, friends, that serving is so integral to discipleship. It's so essential as part of what it means to follow Jesus. And when you're part of this community, when you call Liberty Church your home, you are always, whether you recognize it or not, you're always being served. Someone set up and arranged these chairs and rearranged them. Someone vacuumed this floor. Someone brewed the coffee that we had at coffee hour. Someone baked the communion bread. Someone greeted you at the door. Someone right now is helping many of your kids learn about Jesus in an age-appropriate way. Someone, actually many people, prayed for you before you ever came through the door this morning. When you're part of a church, you are always being served. And so if you're not also serving, think about this, if you're not also serving, then you're actually being formed by the world's definition of greatness. You're being formed as someone who has servants rather than someone who is a servant. And I say that out of love for you this morning because it's for the sake of your soul. You can never just be someone who writes a check and lets other people do the serving. You actually have to become a servant yourself. You actually have to put yourself forward in the low place yourself. Some years back, there was a, a small community of Christians who were known for their, their radical commitment to serving Christian causes. Uh, many of them lived communally. Many of them actually lived together in the same house. And in that kitchen that they shared hung this sign with a very simple but very profound phrase. It said, everybody wants a revolution. Nobody wants to do the dishes. Everybody wants a revolution. Nobody wants to do the dishes. I love that phrase. I love that phrase. It has so much to do with Jesus' paradigm-shattering words here in Mark 10. The vast majority of our service is thousands of daily, mundane, ordinary acts, things that are so obscure that most people never hear about them. It's doing the dishes when it's not your turn. It's, it's caring for a parent or a friend or a spouse or a sibling. It's cooking and cleaning and maintaining a home in service of a family. It's, it's getting coffee for the intern rather than the intern getting coffee for you. It's taking a serving role in a church even if you don't feel particularly gifted or passionate about that. Everybody wants a revolution. Nobody wants to do the dishes. The incredible thing, though, about the revolution of Jesus' kingdom is that the one who does the dishes is actually the great one. They're actually the, the great ones. They're not only advancing Jesus' revolution of greatness, they're, they're embodying it themselves. And that's because Jesus himself is the ultimate embodiment of it. So third and final, let's talk about a ransom. A ransom. Verse 45 here in Mark chapter 10 turns the world upside down. Turns the world upside down. Unlike every other religion, every other worldview where people exist to serve the deity. That's how other religions work. People exist to serve the deity, the gospel is that Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh, came into the world to serve the people. Not to be served, as he says, not to be served, but to serve. His was the kingdom and the glory and the power forever and ever. And he left that in order to dwell among us and not to subdue us, but to serve us, to save us. Jesus is the epitome of greatness. 
And as he's saying here, he measures greatness by the enormity of service, by the enormity of sacrifice. He served to the point of laying down his life, giving it as ransom. That word, is, that word means a payment to purchase freedom for those who were enslaved. It's actually a beautiful picture of the gospel that we celebrate with our own church's name. You know, we can't spell liberty the right way. Spell it with an I at the end instead of a Y. That word in Latin means freed people. So even the name of our church is celebrating that we are those who were slaves to sin, but Jesus paid the ransom. He bought us back out of our slavery to sin. Jesus is the one worthy of all of our service, but who came instead to serve us. And so like James and John, before you and I can ever be people who truly, sincerely serve other people, we actually first have to receive the service of Jesus. If we're ever going to follow in his footsteps and be his disciples, we have to first be served by him. Jesus' service is our salvation. It's our salvation. It's the only way anyone enters the kingdom of God at all. There is no salvation apart from this. And Jesus' life, his blood, is the price which he paid for the penalty of our sin. The cup that he drinks is a unique cup. His work is unique. He alone can save by his serving. But his service also then becomes our example. And that's why he says to his disciples here, whoever would be great. This is actually an open invitation. Whoever, whoever would be great must be your servant. And James and John actually will find this out in a very poignant way. They will drink their own cup. James is going to die a martyr in the early church. John is actually going to live a very long life and a very hard life, which ends, as best as we know from history, in exile on this island called Patmos. Both of them in service to the church, both of them servants of God. With different specifics, all who follow Jesus must pursue the same. Must pursue the same. And that really is as counter to our nature as it gets. I don't know if you're like me, but I'm trusting that some of you are. I think about how other people can benefit me. It's my natural lenses on the world. I think about how other people can benefit me. And when, when we're inclined to serve, when we actually think, okay, I probably should serve some other people, is it not often those who can reciprocate our service or those who can somehow help our lives, help our career track, help our, our bottom line? It's actually why the recruitment tactics of many volunteer organizations are what they are. If you look and do kind of a survey of different volunteer organizations, why they would ask you to serve with them, a lot of the times it's because of the amazing experience it will be for you or the self-fulfillment it will bring. Serve because you're missing something in your life and this will just help you feel better about yourself. At the end of the day, that actually isn't serving other people, if we're honest. It's actually a roundabout way. It's using other people to serve ourselves. To quote Jonathan Edwards again, he says, if you don't believe the gospel of grace, then you've never done anything for the love of others or the sheer beauty of it. You've done it for yourself. If, you've never, if you don't believe the gospel of grace, if you've not been first served by Jesus in this way, then you've never really done anything for others. You've done it for yourself. What is service according to the kingdom of God? Jesus, think about this. Jesus was not in heaven one day thinking, you know what? My life feels kind of empty. I need something significant to do with my life. 
I, I'd like a, a richer experience. I'd like to become more well-rounded. Some things I'd maybe really like to add to my resume. Something feels empty in my life. Maybe I'll serve some people. No, Jesus, for the life of the world, poured himself out to the point of death so that image bearers of God like you and me might be set free from our bondage to sin and death. The only way that you and I will ever truly serve people for their sake is following in the footsteps of Jesus. The only way that we would ever pour ourselves out and like Helen Rosevere, count it a privilege, count it a joy to do so, is if we are first trusting Jesus' service for our salvation. If not, if not, then somewhere in the depth of our hearts, we're always going to be serving in order to gain something from somebody else. Or even worse, we're always going to be serving in order to gain something from God. We'll be bringing our resume of service to God in order to earn favor from him, in order to earn salvation from him, and thereby we'll be seeking to serve ourselves. So I invite you to ask yourself this morning, is Jesus's service both my salvation and my example? Is Jesus's service both my salvation and my example? Have I truly received Jesus's service? Have I trusted in his finished work? Have I trusted in his ransom to set me free from sin? If not, start there. Start there. Before you can ever truly serve someone else, you have to receive Jesus' service of you. If you have received that, and I know many of you in this room have, if you have received that, then ask yourself, where am I now putting myself forward in the low places? Where might I have written off some ways of serving because I, I just consider it beneath me? Where am I pursuing true greatness not according to the definitions, the standards of the world, but according to the standards of God's kingdom. Liberty Church, because Jesus Christ put himself forward in the lowest place, you can put yourself forward in low places. So may we receive truly the service of Jesus, and then may we serve other people in response. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Our Lord and our God, you have given us the glorious gospel of our risen Savior and Master, Jesus Christ. And we pray this morning that we would see again our need, Jesus, for your service, that we would be able to serve others genuinely and truly and not in a roundabout way serve ourselves. We can only do that as we look first to you and receive your service. And even now as we prepare to come to this table, it is a moment for us to again receive your grace, what you have offered us through your death, through your resurrection. So help us now to come and to receive it and transform us into people who serve, who follow in your footsteps, people who take the low place. We confess so much in our nature bucks against that. We don't want to take the low place. We don't want to take the menial tasks. We don't want to serve. Help us in seeing your service of us to become truly servants of one another, servants of you, servants of this world. And I pray that you would do even some of that transforming work by the power of your spirit now as we come. We pray that all, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.